Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if I didn't already, and I don't think I did introduce myself, my name is Trevor, and I'm the lead pastor here at Risen. And it is so good to be with you on Sunday morning. Uh, there are, there is, I mean, there's no place I would rather be on Sunday morning than with God's people, in God's presence, worshiping God. And so um, if you're here this morning and you're uh, visiting, we hope that you would feel welcome. We hope that you would know the, the welcome of Christ through us as a church. And we really want, we feel like God has welcomed us and we're not always sure why. Uh, and we want to extend that kind of invitation to you as well. A um, couple of notes before we dive into this morning's text. The first one is pizza with a pastor. Um, next Sunday after the service, if you're new to the church, I just want to create space where um, I can give you some free food and then hang out and answer any questions you have. That's really the point. If you're new to the church and you want to know more about the church, more about me, more about where we're headed, what we're doing, um, I want to create an opportunity to do that. So that's for everyone who's newish to the church, come join me next next Sunday after church. And then this Sunday, right after this service, we have our membership class. And I know that when I say membership, you maybe feel a particular way, and then you add class to it, and it's just a recipe for disaster, because uh, none of you want to go to class, let alone a membership class. But um, the membership class is right after this service. Uh, we're going to hang out in the library, and here's all it is, and it's, it's not a high-pressure, high-stakes, it's only an hour, um, but the goal of it is just to help help you see, one, that every Christian should, um, should be able to say um, that this church is my church. And how do we help you move from a place of saying, this is a place where I'm checking things out, or I'm attending, or I'm looking into things, to the place where you say, this is my church. And so um, I want to encourage you to come to our new member class or our member class right after the service in the library. I'll be teaching that. It should be a good time. Lunch is provided unless there's like more than, more than 10 of you, and then I don't have enough lunch, so someone's going to have to be like Christ and sacrifice their meal. All right. Uh, awesome. Here we go. If you have a Bible, would you open up to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27? We are, as a church, we walk through uh, books of the Bible at a time. We've been walking through the Gospel of John for like the last four years. And um, not all at once. We will start and then take a break and then start and then take a break. And so we have now picked up the Gospel of John. We started last week in John 18, verses 1 through, um, 1 through 11. And we looked last week at Jesus being a arrested. Um, we're in the, what's called the passion of the Christ. I know that's a movie, but before it was a movie, it was a term that talked about the suffering of Christ. In the Gospel of John, everything slows down, and then these last couple of days, um, you get a real picture of what happens in Jesus's life as he heads towards the cross and subsequent resurrection. So um, this morning, we're going to pick up in John 18, uh, verses 12 through 27. Before we do that, do any of you, are any of you familiar with the group Open Doors? By show of hands, any of you know who Open Doors are? A few of you. All right, all of you should. Um, if you don't know, Open Doors is the largest underground network in the world serving persecuted Christians. Now, when we hear persecuted Christians, we think like, oh, like, what is that? Because I'm an American or I live here in the States and things aren't so bad. Open Doors does a list every year of what's happening in the global church for Christians everywhere. 
And often we forget, just honestly, we don't pray for and we forget our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their Christian faith. Even Pew Research, which is not Open Doors, says that Christians are harassed in 155 countries, more than any other religious group in the world. 5,500 Christians, 5,500 Christians were killed last year in the world just for being Christian. Another 5,000 were abducted for being Christian. 2,000 church buildings globally were attacked just for being Christian. 2,000 people were sexually assaulted for their faith. A hundred, this is mind-boggling, 120,000 Christians were forced to leave their homes and hide because they're Christian throughout the world last year. Now, Let's just be honest, like we have it easily, we have it easy in comparatively to them. Because odds are for all of you, essentially, it's never gonna be that bad. We don't know, but Lord willing, it'll never be that bad. Um, but but around the world, we see these people who really suffer for being Christian. And 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 you know that I, if you follow, uh, if you listen to me or, or you're part of our church for long enough, you'll know that I'll say a couple things about persecution. One, um, it's very easy to say uh, the Christians throughout the world are persecuted and what American Christians experience is sort of nothing. Um, and then it's another thing also for people to say, you know, American Christians really experience persecution and they're constantly talking about it. I don't think either of those narratives are true. Rather, I think that we do not experience persecution anywhere near the levels of our brothers and sisters around the world. But let's be honest. Some of you in this room are going to lose friends because you're Christian. Some of you are going to get turned down for jobs because you're Christian. Some of you are going to experience pressure in your workplace that if you acknowledge that you're Christian, it might be difficult for you. You may have family members who don't want to talk to you anymore just because you view the world through the lens of Christ. A couple decades ago, there's that song that uh, Queen did with David Bowie, Under Pressure. A lot of debate about what the song is about, but a lot of people have used that song to talk about what does it feel like when you're under pressure. As Christians, we experience pressure. And we open up the pages of the Bible, and I think it's right for us to go, How did they deal with pressure when they experienced it? And here, in this Gospel of John, we're going to see what it looks like to deal with pressure, the pressure that you may face. Remember, Jesus, at this point in the story, has been arrested. And now, um, like a good filmmaker... Uh, John is going to have like a a split screen where he's going to show you Jesus and then he's going to show you Peter and then back to Jesus and then back to Peter. And he's going to show you the way that they deal with pressure. And the outline for this morning's sermon is that we'll look at this text together and then we'll make a couple of points at the end. So let's read the text in its entirety and then we'll spend a a few moments in it. 
This is John chapter 18, starting at verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. John, um, John is, he, he just... You can't read this text and not see that John wants you to look at Jesus and then look at Peter and then look at Jesus and then look at Peter and compare and contrast how they deal with the kind of questioning that they are facing. In verses 12 through 14, the leadership wants Jesus dead. That's kind of been building throughout the Gospel of John, and they're moving on a quick timeline. What you need to do in order to get Jesus killed is you've got to get him tried on Friday, up on the cross on Friday, dead on Friday, and down off of the cross before the sun sets. Well, it's really early Friday morning, really late Thursday night when our text begins. And they take Jesus and they bring him to Annas. Now, Annas used to be the high priest. He he used to be the man in charge. 
And he still has the title of high priest, even though he is not technically the high priest. We still call old presidents president, even if they're not the acting president. In the same way, Annas is the, an old high priest. He's got a lot of clout. He's so influential, Annas is, that his son-in-law is the sitting high priest. And Annas has had several of his own children play that role. He functions in Jewish history as a kind of kingmaker. He is responsible for the temple tax. Annas, one of the things he really wanted to see happen was that when you came to the temple um, and you didn't have what you needed to worship, you would have to exchange your money. And in that exchange, you would be taken advantage of tremendously. And if you brought an animal, Annas ensured that that animal was inspected. And even if the animal had any sliver of being um, unacceptable, Annas would then tell you, no, you cannot sacrifice that animal, but you could buy one like a cheeseburger at the airport for $20. Jesus twice goes to the temple and flips things over and says, you've turned my father's house, a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. So Annas knows who Jesus is because Jesus has twice stood up against Annas' ways. They drag Jesus to Annas. Annas doesn't like Jesus. And Annas's son-in-law, like I said, Caiaphas, is the current high priest. And in the text, John reminds you why Caiaphas is important in a particular way. Namely, that just a few chapters ago, Caiaphas had said, let's kill Jesus on behalf of all of the people. And John wants you to know that when Caiaphas said that, he said more than he knows. For even Jesus, bound here before Annas, before this high priest, Jesus is preparing to die, to give his life as a substitute for you and for me. You can't talk about Christianity without talking about substitution. It's unavoidable. Um, if you've been reading the Gospel of Mark um, with us and you wanted to sort of say, if you could just highlight one verse in the Gospel of Mark, one verse that sort of kind of captures the essence of Mark, it might be this one, it probably is this one. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. At the heart of Christianity is what we talked about last week, so we won't dive into it too much today, but at the heart of Christianity is God, Christ for me, Christ for me, that he gives his life for mine, that he dies in my place, that he takes on my sin, that the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all, that your biggest problem facing you right now is that you do not have peace with God, and you cannot have peace with God if you try to manufacture peace with God. For who in this room could ever present a life before God that would be worthy of God if God is holy? None of us can. None of us can. Like, when we stand before God, like, will we have enough change in our pockets to be able to adequately pay him for the wrong we have done? No. The whole Old Testament says that your biggest problem is that your sinfulness, your selfishness, your rebellion against God has caused division between you and the God who made you. 
And the entire New Testament is God saying, I'm going to solve that problem. How? By sending my son. So here's Jesus at the feet of Annas, headed towards the cross. And the camera sort of pulls back and now zooms in on Peter. Verses 15 through 18, Peter had said that he was going to follow Jesus to the very end, and he kind of does. Remember, Peter last week was in the garden, and they come to arrest Jesus, and what does Peter do? He pulls out the dagger, and he slices off the ear of Malchus. And now here, even though he puts the dagger back and the ear is healed, and the other disciples have scattered, Peter and the other disciple, namely John, have followed Jesus as he's been arrested. And as they get to the courtyard, where they need to enter the courtyard to get into Annas' house, Annas' uh, the place where Jesus is now, in order for them to get in, John apparently knows the high priest. So he's a familiar face. We don't know how, we don't know why, but John is able to get in, but Peter gets left behind. He often gets left behind in the Gospel of John. So John goes back, and he speaks to the girl at the door. And he says, hey, that guy Peter, he's with me. And as Peter comes into the courtyard, the girl asks him a passing question. In verse 17, she says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Do you get the also? It's like she knows that John is. And so she says to Peter, aren't you also one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter says, I am not. This is such an unnecessary denial. <laughs> like, the, it's, it's clear that you are. He says, I'm not. And Peter moves past them and then finds himself standing at a charcoal fire staying warm. And I wonder what Peter is thinking here. I wonder if he even puts it together that there was a moment there where he was just asked about his association with Christ and his response just very casually was, I'm, I'm not, no, no, that's not me. We'll get more, we'll talk more about that in a minute, about why that is. But here's, here's Jesus just faithfully standing up, and then here's Peter just so quickly cowering down. Well, in verse 19, John steers you back to Jesus. Jesus is being interrogated. And Annas wants to know, the things you've taught, you've said secret things that nobody knows about, right? And Jesus says, I haven't taught anything in secret. Everything I have done has been out in the open. I have always been forthright. And by the way, why don't you ask the people who heard me? In Jewish law, one of the quickest ways of getting someone to be guilty is just to get two witnesses. If you've got two witnesses, right, then uh, if two witnesses agree on anything, it's probably done. So Jesus' question about his honesty, he's questioned about what he has been teaching, and Jesus looks around and notices that while he's before Annas, there are no witnesses. Like I mentioned before, this is a rushed trial. And so what happens here is that Jesus says, why don't you ask the witnesses? Jesus, in this particular moment, 
He's calling out the injustice of the whole operation. And then what happens for him saying this truthful thing? He is struck in verse 22. And the the officer says, is that how you speak to the high priest? This little bit of police brutality is wild. Because you've got the old high priest and an officer representing him smacking in the face the world's true high priest. As the officer strikes the Son of God in the face, Jesus with perfect courage says, I've always spoken the truth. Why are you striking me for telling the truth? Notice here that Jesus turns the other cheek, but he doesn't keep the truth to himself. The biblical definition of meekness is strength under control. The Bible, right, doesn't merely talk about weakness. It talks about the importance of meekness. And meekness often means that while we have strength, we use that strength for good and we keep it under control. Jesus is an example of meekness for he is the world's true high priest. He is the son of God. He is bound in this moment. And yet he is capable of doing anything he wants as the son of God. Well, in verse 24, Annas sends him back to Caiaphas. And then John zooms back out from Jesus once again to Peter. Remember, Peter is warming himself. And in verse 25, as Peter is warming himself, this unfriendly crowd asks him again, aren't you one of them? And Peter says, I am not. One of the servants a relative of Malchus who was in the garden who got his ear cut off by Peter says, aren't you though? Weren't you in the garden? And Peter denies it and a rooster crows. Peter cowers to the questioners and denies everything. Jesus stands up to the questioners and denies nothing. As a church, every week um, in our, after we transition from the sermon to the table, you hear us say this, these words, right? On the night that Jesus was betrayed. Every week we talk about the night that Jesus was betrayed. Betrayal is a central part of the human experience, and it's central to Jesus' story. Jesus was betrayed, and Jesus predicted that he would be betrayed. And when he said, I'm going to be betrayed, Peter said, that's never going to happen. Peter was a close friend of Jesus. I mean, his name is Peter. Jesus once said to Peter, on this rock, on on your profession, I will build my church. Peter saw Jesus turn water into wine. Peter saw the miraculous catch of fish. Peter saw the transfiguration of Jesus. Peter saw Jesus feed thousands. He had seen the blind be able to see and the deaf be able to hear and even the dead be able to rise at a word from Jesus. Peter is as close to Jesus as you could possibly be. And yet, Peter is on fire one minute and ice cold the next. Does that remind you of anybody? 
One minute, God, I will, I, I'm not, I will give you everything. I will walk after you. I will follow you. Get me out of this situation. Heal me of this thing. Fix this problem. And I will every day follow you faithfully. And then the next minute, completely forgetting and abandoning the promises that we have made. Peter, last week, had a weapon chopping off ears for Jesus. And now just a few moments later, as he walks through a door and the girl says, aren't you one of his disciples? The one that Jesus called the rock turns into jello. The strong one becomes a coward. John is contrasting Jesus and Peter. One of the things I love about this text is that if you read throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is constantly identifying himself as the I am. Last week, right, Jesus said, who are you here to look for? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, and Jesus says, I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is constantly saying, I am. And what does Peter say? I am not. The I am and the I am not. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that, that if under pressure, folding completely can happen to Peter? To Peter? It can happen to any of us. Why does it happen to Peter? Well, I think in part because Peter's overconfident. Peter said, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Even if everyone falls away, Peter says, I won't. Peter failed to recognize his own weakness. And when the soldiers showed up, he pulled out his sword because he felt so powerful in the presence of Jesus. He felt strong in the presence of Jesus, but not now. Not when Jesus is bound. He can still see Jesus, but Jesus is in a position of weakness, and Peter is not as strong as he was a few moments ago. Brothers and sisters, we can be so fickle, can't we? Courageous one minute, cowardly the next. Right now, um, being Christian, being associated with Jesus and living in Santa Monica, it, I'm, it feels odd. Can we acknowledge that? Can we just pause for a second and go, yeah, it feels odd. Which is kind of weird because I don't think any of us thought that it would feel odd to be a Christian in parts of America. But, but it feels odd. And we have these moments where Someone might turn to us and say, you don't believe that stuff, do you? And you're like, ah, not really. What, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Ah, I woke up, watched football. What'd you do Sunday morning? Ah, just hung out. Like, I, I, I just want you to know I get it. We distance ourselves from Jesus and his people. You're not one of those Christians, are you? No, 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 no. I mean, I like, like, I think Jesus is cool, but a lot of that stuff, I don't know. Let's change the subject. Peter, in the presence of God, has so much confidence, but surrounded by others, any pressure, and he is overwhelmed by it. How often, how often do we forget that when we go into the world, we do not go alone. You may feel alone. You are never alone if you are a Christian. 
How often do we, we pray in the mornings and then head to the office, kind of severing our time with Christ, like from the moment we leave the house to the moment we step into our workplace? How often do we pray as we head into our workplace, God, help me to be a light in the darkness. Help me to remember that no matter what happens today, you will never leave me or forsake me. My wife and I recently were talking about how um, we've been praying this way over our kids for quite some time. And it's not bad, but I want you to hear it. We've been praying for our kids regularly, God, be with, be with them. So we'll pray for our kids and we'll say, you know, uh, Jesus, I just, I pray that Moses, you know, would know uh, that you'd be with Moses today. I pray that you'd be with him. I pray that you'd be with Zoe. I pray, we, we pray that sense. But I, and we realized recently, we may have unintentionally given them the impression that God isn't. That he might not be. Even at the end of church every week, what do we say? The Lord be with you. Which is a good thing to say. But maybe this week we ought to say, the Lord is with you. As a reminder that like Peter, we can experience so much confidence when we know that God is in our presence. And yet so much weakness. When do we fall? When do we fail? When do we stumble? In our, my, uh, my friends in the, um, in the recovery community say, uh, they have this term called halt. And if you know halt? If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you are in trouble for falling into temptation. And that's true. That's the natural experience. The, the, the devil wants us to be alone and yearning and feeling and experiencing distance from God because it's then that we are most vulnerable to self-protection rather than into giving ourselves wholeheartedly into trusting God. Peter denies Jesus the way that we all deny Jesus sometimes. Jesus, on the other hand, I mean, he, he just tells the truth. He is mistreated. He demonstrates courage and strength. He isn't weak by any means. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. He's headed to the cross. And the book of Hebrews says that he considered it joy to make possible the reconciliation of a faithful God and his un faithful people. Let me ask you this morning, have you been embarrassed to be Christian? Have you denied Jesus? I love this story because you just read it and you go, I'm Peter. I know what it's like to be Peter. In the Bible, Jesus is betrayed by not just Peter, but also by Judas. They both deny Jesus. They both disown Jesus. But Peter's failure isn't final. His story isn't finished yet, and yours isn't either. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to betray me. And God still pursues Peter, knowing that Peter is going to betray him. What did Peter feel like when the rooster crowed? I mean, look at, let's be honest, none of us have experienced this. None of us know what it's like for God to tell us, you're going to do that thing you definitely shouldn't do. And for us to say, that's never going to happen. And God say, before the rooster crows, it's going to happen. And I say, you're crazy, it's not going to happen. And then hear a rooster crow right after it happens. Can you imagine the shame and guilt he feels? And yet Christ, 
who says, Peter, you are going to betray me. You are going to deny me. You are going to give up on me. And you're going to do it three times whether you say you are or not. I know you better than you know yourself. And you know what? I still am coming after you, Peter. Because I am the faithful God and I am for an unfaithful people. If you feel like a failure, I want you to know your failure isn't final. Only Jesus is the faithful witness. Just last thing as we close. Peter must really understand why the cross is necessary. Peter must really know what it's like to completely deny Christ, even after Christ says that he's going to. Like, Peter must know the weight of that kind of failure. Peter must know his need of what Christ is going to accomplish. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. This week I was reading um, an interview with uh, Tim Keller, former pastor of Redeemer Church in New York, and he was asked about... um, his advice for Christians, and I just want to share this because I think it'll, as it'll be helpful for as we close. Um, here's what Christians should do, he says, moving forward. First, Christians should repent for the ways that Christians' inconsistent lives have harmed the church's credibility. Can I get an amen to that? We are inconsistent. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Can I get an amen to that? Third, let people know you are a believer. Don't hide it. Amen? Fourth, make sure you are not harsh or clumsy in your words. Be sure it's the gospel that offends and not you. Amen? And last, do not be afraid of persecution. Jesus promises to be with you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. I mean, it's, he's so faithful. He's so faithful under pressure, always speaking the truth, always enduring persecution, always headed towards the cross, always looking to the victory and the joy set before him. We, we look at Christ carefully, and we do not see ourselves there. And we look at Peter, and we go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's my story unintentionally ducking and denying, escaping, hitting the eject button on conversation so I don't have to out myself as someone who loves you and seeks to love you above all. Lord, I, I'm on, if we're honest here, I want to pray that we, we, we sit in a room filled with people who have denied you when we shouldn't have. And we do live in a world where we recognize we do not experience the kind of persecution that brothers and sisters across the world do. We pray for them now, Lord, that you would be with them because you are with them. And Lord, we do ask, we do ask that you would bring about justice in the world, protect your people, and further your kingdom. And Lord, if you have persecution for us in whatever flavor, I pray that you'd give us boldness, you'd give us courage, that we would testify to the world that we are not afraid of being mistreated. We will respond in love no matter what because we know that we've been forgiven. We know that you've not given up on us. We know that you died for us and that you rose again. 
We know that when we have turned from our sin and trusted in you, you have made us at peace with you through Christ. So I pray for those who are here this morning who are struggling with the pressure in their lives, maybe with friendships or work relationships or family relationships. God, I just pray that you would know, they would know that you are with them and that they would be courageous for you and for your kingdom. May we look again to Christ and his boldness, his faithful witness. May we seek to live that out. And when we fail, may we run to the cross and may we receive once again the forgiveness we desperately need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.